The other reason that we're doing Year of the Bible is I personally wanted God to challenge me in some areas to grow. And so I wanted to read some stuff that I would normally skip over. Hashtag Leviticus. <laughs> right? I, I wanted, I wanted, so Monday I came in with this commitment to personal growth and this commitment to believing the whole Bible for the whole world, that all of it is God-breathed and all of it has value and all of it should be recognized. I came in and I sat down Monday and I sat down at my desk and I said, God, I'm going to write a sermon on Leviticus. And he said, are you sure? <laughs> yes, I'm sure. And so today, for the first time in my decade of being a preacher almost, we are going to have a sermon on Leviticus. And I, amen. And I'm calling it Lessons on Leviticus. I'm excited. But it is funny, guys. The, the more I read this book and the more I read the, the old, I love that we're doing a Bible reading with the Old Testament next to the New Testament. Because the more I see this, what I see is this God of grace and truth. What I see is books like Leviticus that I thought was just a bunch of laws, most of which probably didn't apply to me. What I see now is this is not a book of law. This is a book of love. And the more I read Leviticus, the more I fall in love with Jesus Christ. And so I want you to see some things today, but we need a little background on this. So if you remember in Exodus... Uh, Moses was leading them out to the promised land and they built this tabernacle and there was a couple of very specific rules and by a couple I mean like 47 chapters on exactly what the tabernacle must be right you had to put your this hand on your nose and your foot like I mean there's all this stuff right and so there's all these rules on the tabernacle but in Exodus so, so the tabernacle was the place where the presence of God was manifest where it was fully known where it was fully experienced and so God was creating a way for sinful people to be in the presence of God. And in Exodus, God and Moses were face to face. You remember Moses went up on the mountain and he came back and his face was shining with the glory of God because he had been face to face with God. But then something happens. There's so much sin in the Israelite camp that something happens. And so we're going to pick it up in Leviticus 1.1. And it says this. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. That little word from is an important word. No longer are they face to face. Now God is inside the tent and Moses is outside the tent because sin has separated Moses from God. God's presence is no longer fully felt by Moses. God is in the tabernacle, in the holy room, and Moses is now outside because sin separates you from God. And so people say, well, isn't God's presence everywhere? God is omnipresent, which means he's all over the place all the time. Yes, God's presence is everywhere. God is everywhere, but God has places in which his presence are more powerful and more fully known. So for instance, like I, I, I actually, uh, in our little... Um, Bible project video, the analogy they used was like the sun, right? The sun is everywhere. If you walk outside, there's sunlight even though it's raining. The sun is always present. It's all over the place, right? But the very things that make the sun good, heat, power, and light, those things will destroy you if you get too close to them and you're not prepared. That's God. God is, is good, 
And God is love. Most people just stop right there these days. God is love. Yeah, he is, but he's also holy. And his holiness will consume people if they walk into the presence of God unprepared. God is a holy and powerful God. And so we see these these stories of people walking into his presence unprepared, and it's not good for them. And so the first lesson we learn from Leviticus, and I think this is so timely for us today, and the message is this. It's three words. Write them down. God is holy. God is holy. And that's why you guys remember in Exodus 3, 5, it says this. This is a good one, too. Y'all remember when Moses, who uses no exclamation points, came to the burning bush, and God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. See, Moses had moved into the presence of God. And when he moved into the presence of God, God said, man, you are standing on holy ground now. And over and over, you see in the Bible, when people encounter God, their first response is not, thank you for affirming everything I've decided to do in my life. Their first response is they fall to their knees in fear because they are in the presence of a holiness they cannot comprehend. Over and over, when you come into into the presence of God, something happens. And so the message is, it can be painful to be in God's presence if you are not pure. And so in Leviticus, God is purifying his people so that sinful people can be in the presence of God. Why? Because he loves us. And so God is making a way for broken, impure, sinful people to be in his presence because you cannot be in the presence of a holy God if you are not holy. And so God is making a way and there's, you can be morally pure, which meant living certain ways, and you can be ritually pure, which meant avoiding certain things. And with ritually pure, most of it was avoiding things that had to do with death. But I want you to, this is something so cool that I learned this week. It wasn't really a big problem to be impure in Leviticus because everything made you impure, like anything. If a baby sneezed on you, you were impure, right? I mean, everything made you impure because there was all these things that seemed to make you impure. It wasn't a sin to be impure, Because normally that was a temporary condition. Normally you were pure by evening. Did y'all catch that? So if you're going to get impure, do it like six minutes before dark. Because then you only got six minutes to wait. But impurity was a temporary state, right? It wasn't a sin to be impure. The sin was coming into the presence of God without dealing with your impurity. You could be impure and you could be sinful and that was bad, but you did not come into the presence of God and ask him to affirm your impurity and your sinfulness. Sin had to be dealt with. And when it wasn't, there were consequences. Listen to what happened to these two priests in Leviticus 10 when they walked into the presence of God without dealing with their problems. Aaron's sons, Nadab and whatever this other guy's name is, Abihu, Bless his heart, his whole life teachers pronounced his name wrong. (laughs) They took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered an unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Wow, that doesn't seem fair. God is not required to be fair, he's God. He makes the rules. (laughs) 
And so these guys came in the presence of God with their impurity and with their sin, and they didn't deal with it, and they did what they wanted to do instead of what God told them to do. And because of that, they were consumed by God's holiness. The message of the book of Leviticus is not a God who approves of sin and impurity, but it is a message of a God who will go an incredibly long way so that sinful, impure people can once again come into his presence. Guys, this is a book of grace. And so, so that sinful, impure people could be once again in the presence of a holy and perfect God, God comes and offers them this system of sacrifices, right? And for like 72 chapters in Leviticus, you learn about sacrifices. And there were basically two kinds of sacrifices, one that said thank you and one that said I'm sorry, And the the thank you sacrifice, you would bring something to God and you would offer it to him. And the purpose of it was to say, thank you, God, for allowing me to be in your presence. I, I just want you to hear this real quick. They brought an offering to God because they were thankful to be in his presence. The offering they brought had nothing to do with the budget of the temple It had nothing to do with how they felt on that given day. They brought God their best because they were thankful to be in the presence of God. You do what you want to with that one, I'm just saying. (laughs) Listen to this in Leviticus chapter 2. It says this, When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering must be their finest flour. Don't bring your old grease that you already cooked fish in 42 times. Don't bring that flour you dropped on the ground, your finest flour. Then down in verse 14, it says, if you bring a grain offering, it's first fruits. Not the last, not the leftovers of your grain. If you bring some grain, bring the first. I love that, man. God made a way for everyone to bring an offering. And if you didn't have, if you didn't have, you know, barley, then you brought grain. If you didn't have grain, you brought corn. If you didn't have corn, you brought something else. And God was like, I'm going to create a way where everyone can bring me something, but there's one stipulation, whatever you bring me, make it your best. Whatever you bring into the presence of God as a thank you offering, make it your best. And it says that was a pleasing aroma to God. Let me tell you guys, the pleasing aroma was the people of God bringing God their best. It wasn't the smell in that room right? For those of y'all who've read it, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, there's, you know, goose livers being tossed around and they're painting the wall with the tail of a mule. I was like, what are you doing in there? It stunk so bad in that room. The pleasing aroma was not the smell of rotting carcasses. It was God's people bringing God their best. And that is pleasing to God. People saying thank you with their finest flower. The second offering was an I'm sorry offering. And this was an atonement offering, and and this was brought through the blood of an animal. What would happen was an Israelite would put their hand on the animal, and that animal would be slaughtered because sin had to be dealt with, right? To be in the presence of of a holy and perfect God, sin had to be dealt with. So their sin would be symbolically put on that animal, and that animal would pay the price for their sin because you can't just walk in front of God sinful and not care. Sin must be dealt with, so the animal was sacrificed to pay the price for sin. Leviticus 1, 3, it says this, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you would offer a male without defect. Again, bring your best. You must present it at the entrance of the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. 
The animal will pay the price for your sin. So instead of God destroying sinful, impure people, God creates a way for sinful, impure people to be in his presence. Grace, 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 grace. Over and over, we're seeing the love of a holy God so that we can be in front of him. He's like, if you don't have a camel, bring a bull. If you don't have a bull, bring, bring, you know, bring a, a goat. If you don't have a goat, bring, bring your dog. If you don't have a dog, bring a chicken. And if you don't have anything else, bring a cat. <laughs> it's in the book. It's not in the book. Um, but really, he's like, I'm going to create a way for everyone to bring me an offering. And if you don't have a bull, that's okay. I'm going to create. Listen to this. Listen to how cool this is. God creates a way for every single person to sacrifice and have their sin dealt with no matter what they have. This is God's love for us. And this is why you read so much about purity in Leviticus. Because God wants his people to look different. And so there was a high standard of sexual integrity in this book. And there was a, a high understanding of, of social justice. And there was a high call for taking care of the poor. Because God's holiness should transform people. And when people have been in the presence of a holy God, they should look different than the world around them, not conform to the patterns of the world. God's holiness changes people. And this, this understanding is highlighted in, in the Day of Atonement Feast, which I thought was really cool, man. On the Day of Atonement Feast, God would have them uh, sacrifice two goats. And the first goat was like a catch-all goat. They, they'd bleed him out just in case um, any sins had been overlooked that year, right? They're like, well, gut one more goat just in case we missed something. And then, but there was a second goat. And the second goat was called the scapegoat. If you guys ever wonder where that saying came from, Leviticus chapter 16 Man, I read a lot of Leviticus for this one. <laughs> Leviticus 16, 20 says, When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of all the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. And the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. All the sins of the Israelites were put on this one poor goat. And that dude was led off, banished from the people. God wants to eradicate sin from his people. God wants to remove. Remember, J Jesus didn't come to approve sin. He came to save us from sin. And so God is, wants to remove sin from his people. And I think somehow, as it, we're a New Testament church. We're living under the new covenant. But I think we think that means we can just take Leviticus and rip it out of the Bible and throw it away. That somehow God has changed. But Jesus and Matthew, y'all are like, yeah, he's going to the New Testament. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew chapter 5 Listen to this. Jesus makes a very important statement. He says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. This is a new mindset. The presence of Jesus did not make the book of Leviticus useless. It just meant it was fulfilled in a brand new way. Everything Leviticus pointed to had been completed in Jesus Christ. So, so Leviticus, Leviticus isn't discounted by Jesus, it's confirmed by Jesus. 
And what's confirmed is God hates sin. And you know he hates sin because he sent his only son to die so that we could be free from it. If God didn't hate sin, he wouldn't have gone through all that. So Christ's sacrifice confirms God's emotions towards sin. God wants sin removed from his people. Jesus Christ's life confirms that. The blood of Christ cleanses us from sin. And so Christ confirms what we read in Leviticus. God is still holy. Christ's life, the perfect lamb who never sinned, he confirms God's holiness. God is still God and God has not changed. But now we've been given a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins once and for all. But we must accept that sacrifice and we better not deny that our God is still holy and that he still hates sin. It all matters. It all matters. And so as you're reading the book of Leviticus and you're reading the New Testament, especially this passage in Mark, man, and I am so thankful for God. I saw this in a brand new light this week. This is Mark chapter 9, and you could probably, someone much smarter than me could preach 40 sermons on this, but this is called the Transfiguration. And my hope is that some of you read this for the first time. And it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Oh, God, I am not worthy to read this. Lord, just move. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there he appeared before them, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and the other one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud and said, This is my son, and I love him. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Gosh, that's good. Something about that is so beautiful to me. So Jesus takes three of his disciples up on this mountain, and he is transfigured before them. Remember, Jesus is fully, fully man, fully man. But he's also fully God, and we can't deny him either one of those, and we never will at this place. He's fully God and fully man. And so in this moment, he, he begins to, to be transfigured, and his disciples get to see his glory, the fullness of his glory. And all of a sudden, beside him is Moses. And Moses represents all the law. Moses, to the good Jewish boys watching this transfiguration, Moses represented Leviticus and Exodus and Genesis and all these laws that these men had always lived under. And then beside him is Elijah. And Elijah represents all the prophets and the, and the prophecy of the Messiah and the word that one was coming who was greater. And then both Moses and Elijah disappear and all that's left is Jesus. Because he is the fullness of the prophecy and he's the fullness of the law. And the law and the prophets, and then there's just Jesus. And something about that moved my soul this week. There's just Jesus. And Jesus stands there and says, I am the sacrifice for your sin. I am the sacrifice for your sin. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. And as you close the book of Leviticus, the last thought in your mind should be, I thank God for Jesus Christ. I thank God for Jesus Christ to understand how much our sin offends our God.
but to understand how much our God loves us. That he's calling us to repent. And remember, repent's not a bad word. But to repent, you must first acknowledge sin. And it doesn't do any good to ignore sin. Because the point of the gospel, the glory of the gospel, is a God who's calling us to acknowledge that apart from Jesus Christ, we are broken and wretched, but we don't have to be apart from Jesus Christ. And this, the message of, of Leviticus was, get pure and you can come to the temple. And the message of Mark is, I have come. Jesus is saying, I am the temple and I'm coming to purify you. And it's not about people trying to get into his presence. It's Christ himself walking into the crowd. And who did he touch? The unclean and the impure. Over and over, he's calling broken people and saying, I have the power to purify you, but first you must acknowledge that you are broken. And a church that does not preach grace and truth is doing great damage to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Great damage. His message was, come to me, all you who are broken, and I will make you whole. We must acknowledge who we are. God's... What's the takeaway from this today? I don't know. I really, I mean, the, the, the takeaway is let Leviticus make you fall more in love with Jesus Christ. The takeaway is quit using God is love as a place to hide and not deal with sin. God is love, fully love, but God is not one dimensional and God defines love. God is love, but God is holy, and God is justice, and God is mighty, and God is all these things. And the fact that we get to be in his presence is not a right. It's a privilege. And we should take this seriously. And if you are continually overing and over, coming into the presence of a pure and holy God without dealing with your impurity, then that is a dangerous place to be. And so we will preach the message that Christ came to preach. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. He did not come to affirm your kingdom. He came so that we might lay down our lives to live in his. This will be a place of grace and truth. The grace is all are loved and nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. The truth is because of our sinfulness, we all stand in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And if you have not had a conversation with him in a while where you've been honest about your sin, it's probably time. Christ came to heal the sick. Admit you're sick and be healed.